Hello PS2 to class, welcome to our podcast lecture series in introduction to political theory. In this episode, we will take up The City of God by St. Augustine of Hippo. Aurelius Augustinus was born in 354 CE in the rather insignificant town of Tagaste in the Roman African province of Numidia. Though ethnically Punic Berber, Augustine grew up in a Latin-speaking area of Tagaste and never learned the predominant language of his hometown. His father who died during Augustine's youth was a pagan who held a modest position in the Roman administration. His mother, Monica, was a simple, uneducated woman known for her Christian faith and commitment to prayer. Though his parents were very different, both were committed to Augustine receiving the best possible education. Hence, Augustine received much of his classical Roman education, which consisted largely of literature and rhetoric in places such as Madauros and Carthage. Though Augustine's father was not a Christian, he did not prohibit Monica from providing her son with an informal religious education at home. As a youth, however, Augustine expressed little interest in spiritual matters, preferring the allurements of the illicit theater shows, sexual relationships, as well as philosophy. At the age of 19, Augustine fathered a son out of wedlock. He crossed the sea in 383 to Rome and eventually to Milan, where he received an appointment as a professor of rhetoric. Yet according to Augustine, in Milan, he encountered much more than the opportunity for career advancement as he made the acquaintance of Ambrose, bishop of the city. Ambrose was not only kind to the young Augustine, but he was also an intellectual whose manner of exegeting the scriptures appealed to the teacher of rhetoric. On account of the influence of Ambrose as well as his mother, Augustine embraced Christianity in 386 and was baptized by Ambrose in the Church of Milan in Easter of 387. After resigning from his teaching post in Milan, Augustine returned to Tagaste in 388 in the company of friends and family with the goal of becoming a servus dei, a servant of God. That is, with a group of like-minded friends, he formed a type of monastery on his family's estate in which Their daily activities consisted of prayer, study, speculation, and writing. In 391, Augustine was ordained to the ministry as a presbyter in the Church of Hippo. In 395, he was ordained bishop of the Hippo Church and remained in that role until his death in 430. Augustine was a prolific writer and communicator, authoring 170 books, 252 letters, while preaching at least 700 sermons. His books include doctrinal and theological treatises, apologetic works defending Christianity, as well as practical books related to leading the church. His most famous works include his autobiography, The Confessions, as well as The City of God, the subject of our discussion. Prior to his death, he revised and organized all of his writings, which were preserved in the library at Hippo. Though originating from the modest roots in Tagaste, Augustine continues to the present day to be regarded as one of Christianity's most significant thinkers. Upon finishing his studies, Augustine worked as a professor of rhetoric in Carthage. Frustrated with the quality of students in the African capital, the goal of our discussion is to treat Augustine's understanding of a philosophy of history, particularly through his paramount work, City of God. 
Initially, we will consider the historical context of early 5th century Rome in which Augustine was writing, followed by a brief overview of how the entire work was structured and came together. Next, we will interact with Augustine's understanding of the origin, progress, and end of the City of God as well as that of its counterpart, the earthly city. Our treatment of the City of God will enable us to make some conclusive remarks toward Augustine's understanding of history, a history in which God is not only involved in interacting with men, but one that He is directing through providence and love. Historical Context of the City of God On August 24, 410, the unimaginable occurred as General Alaric led his Vandal armies into Rome and pillaged it. Before withdrawing from the city, the Vandals spent three days burning Rome, starving the people, and ultimately shaking the confidence of an entire civilization. Rome had been regarded by the citizens of the empire as the eternal city, and her sack undermined this feeling of invincibility and security. Peter Brown writes that Rome was the symbol of a whole civilization. It was if an army had been allowed to sack Westminster Abbey or the Louvre. He adds, Rome symbolized the security of a whole civilized way of life. As this security diminished, refugees began pouring into Roman Africa, including the port city of Hippo, where Augustine resided. As the Romans were trying to make sense of their defeat, reactions of anger and disbelief were felt throughout the empire. The most vocal group was the pagans, those who adhered to the traditional deities of Rome. Yet since Constantine's Edict of Milan in 313, Christianity had not only been tolerated but gained increasing stature toward becoming the official religion of the empire. In the century that followed Constantine's Edict, the pagans would see their temples closed, festivals ended, and their religion suppressed. So when Rome was sacked, the outcry from the pagans was that the gods, the guardians of Rome, had been angered by the lack of piety and devotion and thus allowed the city to fall. Ultimately, the pagans blamed the empire's Christians for the disaster. While pagans responded with anger, the rest of Rome's citizens, including its many Christians, reacted to the events with dismay and despair. Haman summarizes that the sack of the Eternal City brought trauma for both pagans and Christians alike. The Structure of the City of God It was in the aftermath of these events that Augustine sat down to write City of God. The work which he began around 412 would take nearly 15 years to complete and was published in several installments. City of God was not a reaction to the fall of Rome, but rather, as James O'Donnell puts it, a response to the response of the fall of Rome. For in the first ten books of the work, Augustine, employing a mastery of Cicero, Virgil, and other Roman writers, addresses the angry pagans and sets out to show the futility of the Roman gods and their inability to protect Rome. Hence, the purpose of the first ten books is to render the anger and blame of the pagans unjustified. The City of God and the Earthly City, a tale of two cities. The basis for Augustine's notion of the two cities 
is found in the scriptures. He writes that the scriptures have paramount authority and to which we yield assent in all matters of which we ought not to be ignorant and yet cannot know of ourselves. It is therefore not surprising that Augustine takes the term city of God from three different verses found in Psalms. It reads, Glorious things are said of you, O city of God. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. In the city of our God, his holy mountain, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. When Augustine observed the human experience, he classified people as belonging to two sets of spiritual realities, the earthly city and the city of God. Though men and women wear the same clothes, frequent the same market, or sit in the same chamber of parliament, Augustine assigned to them a spiritual citizenship based on the object of their love. In short, members of the earthly city are consumed with self-love, while citizens of the city of God are in love with the ways of God. Given this brief definition, let us pose the following questions, which allow Augustine's line of reasoning in his work. What is the origin of the two cities, their progress through history, as well as their end? What characterizes the city of God and the earthly city? How does one become a citizen of either city? How does a citizen of the city of God dwell in the earthly city? In Books 11 to 14 of the City of God, Augustine describes the origin of the two cities. He begins with a discussion of the angels, being created to serve God who were fashioned with both a mutable nature and a free will. Those angels who followed Lucifer were tempted by pride and plunged into darkness by exercising their will to rebel against God. On the contrary, the faithful angels remain in the light by choosing to honor God and doing what was good. Hence, the angelic members of the city of God arrive there through the exercise of their free will, which would foreshadow the path of men. Donald Burt writes, Both angels and humans received the gift of freedom. They were meant someday to be permanent residents in the city of God, but to realize this intention, they had to claim citizenship by a free decision, whereby they chose to love God more than anything else. Adam, the father of the human race, was created to dwell in paradise, a type of heaven on earth. Yet like the angels, man was created in a mutable state with a free will to love and obey God or to rebel. Like Lucifer, the first humans were tempted by pride and thus chose to turn from God. Bird adds, apparently, the only real temptation they had was the growing conviction that they could make Eden even better if they were in charge. The result was that the first humans used their great gift of freedom to destroy their paradise by disobeying the one and only rule that God imposed. Despite man's choice to disobey and the disastrous consequences, Augustine asserts that God in his omniscient foreknowledge was not unaware of the direction man would take and thus remained sovereign over the affairs of man and history. Adam's fall not only caused his own expulsion from the garden and the beginning of a life of pain and separation from the presence of God. It also affected the spiritual condition of his offspring. Augustine writes, Man, being of his own will, corrupted, and justly condemned, begot corrupted and condemned children. Hence, Augustine introduces the notion of original sin as a characteristic of the earthly city. Since the offsprings of Adam are born with a tendency to sin and disobey God and indeed realize this potential early on, they are automatically rendered citizens of the earthly city. 
In books 15 to 18 of the City of God, Augustine sets out to describe the progress and growth of the two cities, or the two communities of men, of which the one is predestined to reign eternally with God and the other to suffer eternal punishment with the devil. Augustine traces the initial progress of the two cities to Adam's two sons, Cain and Abel. Though both sons offered sacrifices to God, the apparent condition of Cain's heart and devotion made his sacrifice unacceptable to God. Cain, in jealousy and anger, responded by murdering his brother. Hence, the initial stages of the early city were marked by jealousy and murder. In this context, Cain were farther and went farther and established a dwelling place on earth for his family by building a city. In Book 18 of the City of God, Augustine describes the continuation of the earthly city, following Cain through a chronological account of many of its kings and leaders down to Augustine's day. The progress of the City of God begins with Cain's slain brother Abel. Augustine describes him as a sojourner or pilgrim who did not settle on earth by building a city like his brother. The majority of Books 15 to 18 of the City of God serves as a commentary on the scriptures and recounts the lives of those saints who, like Abel, sojourn in the earth walking with God while longing for the heavenly city to be fully realized. Hence, the members of the city of God are traced from Noah and his children through Abraham and his descendants, through the holy kings of Israel including David and Solomon, through the prophets including Samuel, and finally culminating in the appearing of Christ. Augustine, citing the words of the prophets who foretold the coming of Christ, draws our attention to a thread of stewardship of those who demonstrated the values of the city of God from the time of Noah to Christ. Augustine makes this connection especially between Abraham and Christ by referring to Abraham as the seed of Christ. He writes, On account of the Christian people in whom the city of God sojourns in the earth, we look for the flesh of Christ in the seed of Abraham. Hence, the two cities progress simultaneously and alongside one another in space-time history. Indeed, the members of each city interact with one another while living out the values of the city of their allegiance. The End of the Two Cities Augustine dedicates books 19-20 of City of God to describing the end result of the cities. Both cities will realize their respective ends at the return of Christ and the subsequent day of judgment. Augustine writes, For that day is properly called the day of judgment, because in it there shall be no room left for the ignorant questioning why this wicked person is happy, and that the unrighteous or the righteous man unhappy. In that day, true and full happiness shall be the lot of none but the good, while deserved and supreme misery shall be the portion of the wicked and of them only. As previously noted, the destiny of the members of the earthly city will be punishment, hell, and separation from God. On the contrary, those who have adhered to the values of the city of God will be saved from the destruction of the earthly city. As the city of God is eternal, its members will inherit eternal life in heaven. Augustine writes, In that city all the citizens shall be immortal, men now for the first time enjoying what the holy angels have never lost. Further, they will experience eternal happiness and rest in God, a reverse of Adam's curse, which included cultivating the ground through the sweat of his brow. Finally, heaven will be characterized by eternal peace between humans and between God and men.
the greatest treasure of heaven will be that man will continually dwell in the presence of a loving God, as Adam had lived before the fall. Augustine concludes, The peace of the celestial city is a perfectly ordered and harmonious enjoyment of God and of one another in God. What is the earthly city? Throughout City of God, Augustine provides a vivid description of the earthly city and its characteristics. Briefly put, the citizens of the earthly city are those who wish to live after the flesh, choosing to live for self and rejecting the ways of God. Augustine further describes the self-focus by writing the earthly city is formed by the love of self even to the contempt of God glorifies itself, seeks glory from man, lifts up its head to its own glory, delights in its own strength. The result of such selfish tendencies is that the society experiences a breakdown where litigations, wars, and quarrels are common and the powerful oppress the weak. Augustine, following the influence of John in the New Testament book of Revelation, metaphorically refers to the earthly city of Babylon. The Assyrian capital, whose name meant confusion, was built by Nemrod, a descendant of Noah's son, Ham, who had been cursed for disrespecting his father. Babylon was built up in the spirit of Cain's earthly city and was characterized by pride, personal glory, and defiance to God. Commenting further on the confusion of Babylon, Augustine remarks that even the philosophers and historians of the earthly city disagree with each other on the nature of truth. Throughout the city of God, Augustine certainly challenged the logic and coherency of the thinkers of his Babylon Rome. Finally, as the children of Israel had been taken into captivity in Babylon in the 6th century before Christ, the earthly city also represented a place of spiritual exile for the members of the city of God. What is the city of God? Let us now consider Augustine's description of the city of God whose members wish to live after the Spirit. He writes that the heavenly city has been formed by the love of God even to the contempt of self. The glory of the city of God is God. He adds that there is no human wisdom but only godliness which offers due worship to the true God and looks for its reward in the society of the saints, of holy angels as well as holy men, that God may be all in all. Unlike the earthly city, the members of society and government work together harmoniously as the princes and subjects serve one another in love, the latter obeying while the former takes thought for all. While the earthly city increased only through physical generation, the city of God increases through regeneration. Those have been cleansed from sin and come to God in a sort of new birth. The city of God, in contrast to its earthly counterpart, is eternal and has no end. As the progress of the city of God found its completion in Christ, Augustine regards Christ as king of the heavenly city. Hence, David's reign in the earthly Jerusalem was merely a shadow of the reign that Christ has in the city of God. Augustine goes even farther and refers to Christ as the founder of the heavenly city, which signifies his deity and creative attribute. Though king and creator, Christ rules the city of God in humility, influencing his subjects to also adopt this quality. This humility of the city of God also stands in contrast to the pride and selfishness of the earthly city. In contrast to Babylon, Augustine used Jerusalem as his metaphor to represent the city of God. He calls it the Jerusalem which is above, that is the city of God. God's particular love for the children of Israel and the earthly Jerusalem was simply a shadow of the heavenly Jerusalem. 
Several aspects of the early Jerusalem point to characteristics of the city of God. The Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, the temple built by Solomon that facilitated worship. The peace experienced under Solomon referred to the external and eternal peace to be experienced in the heavenly city, and as noted, the reign of King David that foreshadowed the eternal reign of Christ. One final aspect of the earthly Jerusalem that points to the heavenly city is that men from many nations, not merely Israel alone, were regarded as people of God and citizens of Jerusalem. Augustine writes, There have been certain men, even of other nations, who belong not only by earthly but heavenly fellowship to the true Israelites, the citizens of the country above. Perhaps Augustine was influenced by John's vision of heaven in Revelation. While likening the city of God to heavenly Jerusalem with Christ as its king, Augustine also uses city of God synonymously with the terms kingdom of heaven and church. Despite Kenny's assertion that the city of God is not the same as the Christian church on earth, Augustine quite clearly equates the two. In Book 13 of the City of God, he speaks of defending the city of God, that is, his church. While in Book 17, he refers to the Church of God, the city of a great king. Augustine regarded the church as a universal network of redeemed saints who had Christ as their Redeemer and Head. This description is quite consistent with Augustine's understanding of the city of God. In Augustine's scheme of the two cities, how does one obtain citizenship in each city? As noted, one disastrous consequence of Adam's fall was that his children are born with a corrupt nature and quickly demonstrate their ability to sin, thus rendering them citizens of the earthly city. Augustine summarizes, Now citizens are begotten to the earthly city by nature vitiated by sin. While citizens of the earthly city are arrived there by a rebellious act of the will, he also remained there by continuing in a state of pride, self-sufficiency, and rebellion against God. Though all of Adam's offspring begin as citizens of the earthly city, Augustine repeatedly preaches that one can lay hold of the heavenly city. As Bird asserts, the biggest goal for those living in the earthly city is to discover how they can win citizenship in the city of God, how they can avoid eternal condemnation in the earthly city. How is this immigration possible? Augustine writes that one joins the city of God through faith. It is written, The just lives by faith. For we do not as yet see our good, and must therefore live by faith. Neither have we in ourselves power to live rightly, but can do so only if we who have given us faith, believe in His help, do help us when we believe and pray. Hence, the response of the citizen of the earthly city wanting to join the city of God is to receive by faith the gift of Christ's sacrifice as payment for sins and to repent or turn from the habit of sin and follow God through the power of Christ. Finally, as long as the citizen of the earthly city is alive, he has the opportunity to join the city of God. In City of God, Augustine addresses those citizens of the heavenly city who presently reside on earth. Like a bell, he regards them as pilgrims and sojourners on earth who are characterized by humility of Christ. Living in Babylon, the pilgrim lives out his experience in a sort of exile in which he is not immune to the pain of the earthly city or the temptation to sin. Rather, Augustine, who believed that suffering was an excellent vehicle for spiritual growth, maintained that the pilgrim could be strengthened through what he endured in the earthly city. He writes, 
It is thus the citizens of the city of God are healed while they sojourn in desert and sigh for the peace of their heavenly country. The Holy Spirit, too, works within, that the medicine externally applied may have some good result. From the authoritative basis of the scriptures, Augustine interpreted his own experience and history through the lens of what he termed the earthly city and the city of God. The earthly city was founded upon the rebellion of angels and men who exercised their free will to disobey God. The city of God has Christ as its founder and consists of those holy angels who remain faithful as well as men who have been rescued by fate from the wastes of the earthly city. The two cities run a parallel course in a linear account of history. The earthly city begins with Cain, progresses through the lives of worldly kings and people, toward an inevitable destruction away from the presence of God. The city of God is observed in the lives of those saints of Scripture who remained faithful to God. The citizens of the city of God live out their days in the earthly city in the light of the hope of heaven that will be inaugurated at the return of Christ and Day of Judgment. Finally, they live out their experience in the earthly city as pilgrims growing through its pain, enjoying its benefits, while endeavoring to influence the earthly city for good. Augustine's explanation of history was far from theoretical as he personally experienced the pain and struggles of what he considered the earthly city. The Vandals who had sacked Rome in 410 continued their siege across the empire, and nearly 20 years after the initial attack on Rome, they arrived at Augustine city of Hippo and besieged it. Augustine passed away during the onslaught, actually dying of a fever at the age of 76. His biographer Posidius wrote that in his final days, Augustine found strength in the sayings of a wise man, No one is great who is amazed at wood, when stone collapse and mortals die. Like Babylon and other earthly kingdoms, Rome was not an eternal city of civilization, and consistent with the values of the earthly city, it would not be immune to war or destruction. O Daly writes, within this panorama, earthly kingdoms have a limited lifespan. It seems plausible that Augustine's thought on the rise and fall of civilizations would influence another North African scholar, Ibn Khaldun, who would take up the question in the medieval period. Augustine wrote books 11 to 22 of the City of God to encourage the Christians of the Roman Empire by offering them a Christian and eternal perspective of history. That is, even if the Roman Empire fell, the City of God would not. Even if they become displaced and exiled in the earthly city, they would never lose their citizenship in heaven. Surely, Augustine continued to ponder what he had written years earlier in his Confessions. We need not fear to find no home again because we have fallen away from it. While we are absent, our home falls not to ruins. Our home is your eternity. Augustine could maintain such a perspective because he believed that God was sovereignly directing history and guiding it through providence and love. God would carry and strengthen those who love him through the most difficult circumstances and then reward them with eternal life marked by peace, rest, and happiness. As previously noted, Augustine could have written the city of God whether Rome had fallen or not. Nevertheless, the historical context of the decline of the Roman Empire trusts Augustine his notion of the two cities onto the world stage with the publication of the city of God. The result is that his magnum opus continues to the present day to find a significant place in the ongoing debate toward the conception and philosophy of history. 
To recall the city of God was written by St. Augustine to respond to pagan attacks against the rise of Christianity. The city of God is a city that envisions heavenly city where there would be salvation and life hereafter. There is love of God even to the contempt of self. It is otherwise known as the Society of Angels and Saintly Elect or the Communio Sanctorum. Its destiny is ultimately eternal reign with God. It was a way of life dedicated to the service of God and those who live according to God. On the other hand, the early city or the Civitas Terena is an agency on earth before man could enter the kingdom of God. It is characterized as a city that puts primacy on the love of self, lust of power, love for flesh, and it is also known as the society of the impious or the societas impurum. Its destiny is eternal punishment with the devil. It is a life lived in solitude because of inclination for earthly appetites and temporal desires. In recollection in the Republic, Plato through Socrates defined justice as functional specialization. It is when an individual works according to his vocation only. Thus, it is equivalent to privacy. St. Augustine, on the other hand, in the city of God, defined justice as the right relationship between men and God. For St. Augustine, peace is not merely the absence of social strife and conflict, but justice itself. He said, justice being taken away, then what are kingdoms but great robberies? Earthly city is a community of the unrighteous, including sinful members of the church and excluding righteous citizens of the state. St. Augustine's work later on emphasizes the good life espoused by Plato, Aristotle, and Cicero using the ideals of Christianity. If Aristotle said that slavery is a natural condition of man's inequality, St. Augustine, on the other hand, said that slavery is not a result of man's nature, but the result of sin. If a slave cannot be freed by his master, the slave must serve his master freely and in faithful love so that he could make himself free in some sort. Finally, St. Augustine also discussed that the objective of war is peace. Every man seeks peace by waging war, but no man seeks war by making peace. There is the peace of all things, that the tranquility of order in the universe is achieved. Where there is well-ordered and harmonious life, there is peace of body and soul. Where there is obedience of faith to eternal law, there is peace between men and God. And where there is well-ordered concord between those who rule and those who obey, there is domestic peace. This has been your podcast lecture series. In PS202, Introduction to Political Theory. Thank you and be well.